0: I'd like to acknowledge Australia's First Nation people as the traditional custodians of the land and for this episode in particular the Wadandi people. I pay my respects to their elders past, present and emerging.
1: For me one of the things with cabernet is it's 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 a constant, you know, other other varieties come and come and go, but cabernet is a constant from a Margaret River perspective and and many other regions of the world it's 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 always the yardstick by, by which you measure the quality of the vintage because um, they're, they're such lovely, age-worthy wines.
0: This is Over a Glass. I'm Shantae Whale. Glen Goodall is a senior winemaker at Xanadu Wines in Margaret River. In his time, he has won countless trophies and awards for his craft. He joins me today to tell me how a surfer from Northland, New Zealand, is now one of Australia's most prolific winemakers. Hi, Glen. Thanks for joining me.
1: Oh, great to be here, Shantae.
0: It's lovely to finally chat to you. I've been following your wines and your story for quite some time, and we've never met in person. Tell me about how you decided to move from Northern all the way over here to Margaret River.
1: Um, oh, geez, it was, I was back in the day. I was only 19 at the time, and um, uh, my mum uh, lived in Port Macquarie in northern New South Wales. So, um, yeah, I went over to Port Macquarie on a bit of a surfing holiday, and um, uh, I couldn't bludge off mum forever, so I ended up getting a job in a vineyard, and which subsequently led to doing vintage. Uh, and yeah, uh, once I got the bug for wine, um, ultimately it led me over here to Western Australia, where my um, where my my wife grew up. Um, given that she's also a winemaker, and um, uh, yeah, it was a you know Port Macquarie was a bit of a one horse town. There was a lot more going on in the wine industry here in, in Margaret River.
0: I love that. You sum that up in a nutshell in about three seconds. Well done.
1: <laughs> no worries.
0: Tell me about when you, you first moved from Northland. What were your first thoughts of Australia?
1: Uh, it's all just exciting, you know, when you when you go to come to a new country, it's all really exciting and um, Port Macquarie was, um, uh, yeah, a lovely part of, of the East Coast and and the fact that it's a, a tourist town right on the beach, uh, being able to go surfing every morning, um, yeah, it was just it was just great fun and just excitement um, and just uh, just a lot more choices, um, just with respect to well to everything basically, just to, with a with a bigger economy.
0: Yeah, it's a beautiful part of the world, and and there's certainly some nice beaches to kind of uh, grab a barrel or two. Grain Wines was you know in Port Macquarie and really your foundation estate. You spent nine years there, which is a huge amount of time. Tell me about what those first days were like walking in into Cassegrain.
1: Um, yeah, well, I, I started just—I was actually working in the vineyard, planting um, at Cassegrain's, and they kind of said, "Oh, look, this this young Kiwi guy is a good worker. Let's give him a job in the winery." And the minute I walked into the winery, I just loved the smell of the place and the um, uh, just the feel of 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 being in the winery, and and that led to vintage and vintage is just such a you know back then in particular it was just such a wonderful part of the year part of the season because there's so much camaraderie going on you you really feel as though you're part of a team and and uh, there's just so much energy happening in the winery just at such an important time of the year um so once i got the bug there um oh that that was that was me i was hooked i found myself in bordeaux the the, the same year My, my first vintage was in 1990 in, in Cassegrain's and I found myself in Bordeaux in, in the Northern Hemisphere um, summer of that year and yeah, I was hooked ever since then.
0: And with places like that, did they
1: encourage you to go and do vintage
0: somewhere else? Is that, I mean, I imagine it's at that early stage, it's all funded by yourself to go traveling. What was Cassegrain um, like in terms of saying, yeah, head off for a bit and then come back?
1: because uh, well, at that stage it was very, very early. I wasn't 100% sure that that was what a you know, what my career would end up being. I just knew that I really liked it. I was only 19 at the time, but uh, no, they were all for it and very, um, very much encouraging. You know, getting some more experience around the traps to help, you know, form, you know, good experience in the winemaking career, but also just at that age to get out and about and travel. And I think that's one of the great things about the wine industry is. Uh, through my whole journey, n- not just at Cassegrains, but as at I John Cassegrain and Drew Noon, who were just great mentors, and you know, mentors who teach you about um, well everything from the vineyard right through to the winemaking, but also just you know some life experience as well. When you're only 19 and you're in a new country, it's it's nice to have people you know who've got your back and and want to see you uh, um, succeed.
0: Oh, absolutely. So important to have those amazing figures around you that you can ask questions and that that encourage you to grow. You went straight to Bordeaux. You went to a source of, wow, like amazing estates and a lot of history. What was it about Bordeaux that cemented the fact that you were like, this is going to be my new career?
1: Well, at that stage being, you know, so young and just the, the opportunity to travel, it, it really opened my eyes that, uh, you know, as well as expanding your horizons from a winemaking perspective and by no means was I a winemaker at that stage I was a I was a cellar hand who was full of beans and just keen to just to travel and, and experience things but I just realized how far that the the industry could take you just all over the world with respect I did a lot of vintages northern and southern hemisphere for until I was about oh maybe 27 um I've I crammed in a lot of seasons in the northern hemisphere and um and because Cassegrains was such an early vintage I managed to cram in a couple of um you know i I'd do a couple of seasons in the southern hemisphere um and tack new zealand onto the end of it but um i guess it was when i was in south africa doing vintage over there i remember the the exact moment i was i was washing the dishes with with jill Finlayson and i just turned to her and said you know what this is what i'm going to do for a career and got back to port macquarie and um yeah john casagreen uh, he encouraged me and to, to go and study and, yeah, then just did the, the hard yards of, of going to Adelaide University and doing four years of study and, and making it a career. I think that's
0: awesome. I, I love when you can pinpoint a moment that you kind of, you know, kind of changed the direction of your life. I think that's amazing. But you seem to me someone that's a bit of a loyalist because you have had some really long stints. Um, at places, and I think that's great because like you said you you start to know the ins and outs, and if you 've done more than just one role at a place, you really start to kind of appreciate i don't know the whole the whole working mechanics of an operation don't you
1: yeah, for sure like um, with, with the exception of of a swag of vintages overseas um, uh, yeah my my sort of career was uh, casasegra's for nine years i was I started. Uh, at one of Margaret River's first uh, contract wineries, I was only there for for one year, and through the building phase of that as well. Uh, and then, yeah, moved to to Zanadu and I've been here for. This is my. I'm in my twenty fifth year here at Xanadu now. So it's it's been a it's been a long haul. But yeah, I, I agree that when you when you when you're working somewhere for a really long time, you get to know every facet of the business, and particularly in a in a leadership role, I find now. It's it's nice. I, I like this sort of um, uh, the mantra that I wouldn't. I don't ask anybody else to do anything that I don't have the ability to do myself, or or haven't done myself in the past. Um, so, and that only comes with time. You know, when you've had a, had the opportunity and, and work from the bottom up, and yeah, um, you now a lot of winemaking is is uh, it's not all um, you know swanning around tasting wines every day. A lot of it's um, cleaning and uh, yeah. some hard yards that all has to be done
0: yeah that's so true i really like that because i think that it really makes for a very well-rounded individual when you are kind of i suppose like you said at at maybe the more top echelons now but you know what it means to clean a tank or to get in and and do those grungy jobs you know um i think that that's it's, it's really um uh says something about you why did you move to Margaret River? Was it the surf that kind of called your name over that way? Uh, how did how did that kind of come about? You said also that you you met um, Eloise, your vivacious, amazing partner. So tell me how that that came about.
1: Uh, yeah, well, I, I, I as I did vintage in France, and I, I did a small stint uh, working in a you know as a classic ANZAC tour of duty working in a pub in London, and I just. Uh, I really wanted to get back to Australia and um, it wasn't vintage at Cassegrains at the time. So I came back and I was actually working in a boat building um, place down in Frio uh, with my best friend who was living in Frio at the time. So yeah, I borrowed his his car, drove down to Margaret River um, and yeah, just drove around a few of the wineries and, and yeah, just fell in love with the place down here. That was prior to meeting my, my <laughs> wife um, and I met my wife Ellie at um, Adelaide University, where she was studying winemaking as well. So, um, yeah, she came and did a vintage with me in, in Port Macquarie, and then we realised that, uh, you know, for both of us to s- sustain some winemaking careers, we we needed to move to a bigger area, for, you know, a wine an area with a bigger wine industry. So, she being born and bred in, in Dunsborough, just north of Margaret River, um, yeah, we came back over here, and uh, yeah, she came back at the time to. Uh, well, we actually had a brief stint in South Africa together first, and then we came back here. She she went back to Cape Mentelle back in the mid '90s, and I um, started that contract facility, and uh, then moved moved to Xanadu So, um, yeah, that's that's what that's what sort of led me here, and and I've just never left. I just love you know Margaret River is just such a an amazing place, not just for winemaking, but just to um, raise a family and just you know the fact that I've been been for a surf a couple of times before work this week, and went down to the beach for a swim this morning. It's pretty hard place to leave.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I feel like it was the stupidest question to ask, but you never know why people do choose (laughs) where they want to live. But Margaret River is one of my favourite places in the world and I could easily see myself living there. So, I I don't blame you for the choices you've made and and it is such a special part of the world. I mean, between the two of you, between Eloise and yourself, her at Cape Mantel and you at Xanadu, you must know absolutely every single person in the wine industry and what's happening in the business. (laughs)
1: Oh, Margs is a pretty small. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a it's a big industry, but it's still a, a small community, I guess. Where yeah, everybody does. It's it's just the the whole vibe around the Margaret River wine community and community at large is is fantastic. Where people get involved, people um, uh, certainly. Uh, get involved in all sorts of aspects, whether it be um, volunteer work uh, or and or a lot of the, the wine industry stuff. Particularly in our, you know, our little area, with in budget up with uh, Voyager and Lewin Estate. It's um, yeah, you do know a lot of people, and you 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 get to know vineyards as well, like um, as well as knowing um, you know the the prime vineyards around the area. Uh, you you obviously know your own vineyards, like the back of your hand, but there's there's also, a, you know, healthy competition amongst a lot of the um, the wineries when you're out there looking at fruit and sourcing fruit as well because everyone wants to make the best wines. And so it's, it's, it, it pays to know people and it pays to, to get out and about and um, uh, t- just try and keep your finger on the pulse with everything that's happening in the community.
0: <laughs> well, you certainly must do that because Xanadu wins a crazy amount of awards in wine shows. Why is that?
1: I've asked myself the same question um, because it's it's one of those things where um, because of our success, a lot of people have sort of said, oh, what's the secret? And I, there is no secret. Um, it's honestly, I think, just really wa- wa- respecting the vineyard, um, walking a lot of rows so that you really understand uh, what each block and, and in many cases what which parts of each block of, of, of vineyards can deliver. Um, and as far as the winemaking goes – in all honesty, Shantae, I've always had a very much a keep it simple, stupid approach. I don't really don't try and complicate too much in the winery, but really respect what what's going on in the vineyard, and I, I would much rather preserve what the vineyard brings to the winery. And from that perspective, I mean, by identifying and and um, and uh, isolating areas of a vineyard or a block. And I don't really care what you know whether it's an open fermenter, or a static fermenter, or a rotary fermenter. I think it's more about actually identifying and capturing that what that part of the vineyard's got, and then that just gives you a lot of light and shade when you go to put blends together, where you've got um, yeah just different aspects that are coming from the vineyard, and just a, a bigger palette of colours to play with when you're putting blends together. So yeah. Wh- that seems to resonate with people and with with wine show judges and and journalists. So um, yeah, the keep it simple, stupid approach seems to be working. So we just we just stick with that. <laughs> I think also it's it's worth it's worth recognising too that it's 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 not a one man band. It's it's an absolute team sport when it comes to winemaking. So um, you know I've had a great team here at Xanadu over the journey, um, people past and present who have. Played a massive role in our success, and notwithstanding, it's not just people here at the winery. It's our growers um, and our vineyard team as well. It's it's um, yeah, one person doesn't make the wine. It's a team sport for sure. Yeah, it's
0: always good to rec- to recognize that you know it does take a village, and and like you said, you, you can't you can't do it alone, and you need a lot of input from other people and everybody to kind of pull their weight. I think it's interesting that you talked about the vineyard. Um, you know. You, On your website, it says you produce fruit-forward wines where the loudest voice in the glass is the vineyard, which I love. I think it's interesting to think of that, and and you've put it really nicely when you talked about blends, because Burgundy is somewhere that has cemented that idea of identifying sight by taste alone. And, you know, I think that that probably is the future of great wines. But when you're not necessarily putting it on the label saying, this is this vineyard, we make it every single year – it's quite hard to communicate kind of how you identify the vineyard in the glass, I think, Um, because like you said, you know the place, you know what it offers. But when we're tasting a final wine at the end, unless, you know, it's written in front of us, it's hard necessarily to to identify that. But you talked a bit about making it into a blend. So, that kind of gets me thinking, okay, well, then you're saying, okay, this has this beautiful kind of bright red fruit weight whereas this is giving us some great tannins and earthy elements and then we're kind of combining them to create um that final product i suppose does that make
1: sense yeah for sure yeah no absolutely um and it's and it's nice um sometimes you know because we do Xanadu has we have several single vineyard wines um you know from our laggan estate now stevens road um vineyard in particular um, but yeah, the, our um, uh, some of our most successful wines are blends from various vineyards, and uh, you know, look, looking at the like our black label Cabernet, for example, it's I find it's really important to have, you know, uh, you know that vineyard being the loudest voice in the glass. I, I like. I love it when you open a bottle of wine particularly Cabernet and it just smells like home so I often think about whether, I, whether I'm at home or whether I'm in London it, it doesn't matter, it's 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 about when you put these blends together to try and get the best of what what can come out of Margaret River Cabernet and for me that's um, a couple of things. It's that lovely, bright, as you said, that fruit forward sort of purity uh, element. There's definitely a, um, you know, a, a leafy bay leaf sort sort of more um, fresh element to the wine as well, but then having that lovely sort of suppleness. So I think when you, when we're putting blends together, like I'll tend to like keep it pretty simple with respect to the The winemaking press maybe two-thirds of the of the um, components relatively early to preserve that freshness and that brightness and that fruit forwardness and maybe a third or depending on the season um, maybe a bit less to do some extended maceration and that just helps to give it some really lovely plushness maybe a touch more of that savory sort of character but just um, yeah just so that you've got light and shade so that when you put the blends together they're not one dimensional. They they still want that brightness, um, but there's just a couple of other layers there that just make it a little bit more thoughtful. Um, but I think I, I think that's why you know having that vineyard as the loudest voice in the glass is a is a kind of a mantra where I think that identifies more of a as a real place rather than a person. You know, using Chardonnay for a as a, an analogy here where. You know, I really want to taste where that's from and what that grape is in that vintage, rather than someone's oak budget or how much malo you put it through, or, or the alcohol, or just you know smear it with winemaking. It's much nicer, I think, when you're actually tasting a place rather than um, um, yeah a you know a winemaking style or a winemaking personality.
0: Mm. I think that's. You've said that so well and it's something that I've noticed in the last maybe three years of, of wine judging around the country where I feel like sometimes I can pick out a Xanadu wine and it's not because of um, a winemaking making kind of trait, it's really because of the lack of winemaking and the more kind of restraint that I go, I think that's a Xanadu. And I think that that's a really huge compliment for your wines because you start to go, oh, look at the fruit and look at all the the detail in it, look at the kind of judicious amount of oats being used. Um, yeah, and I think that you can start to see them, but it's really through, like you said, those, those other discerning factors of vineyard.
1: Yeah, no, hopefully that's, you know, that's, Thank you. That's an amazing compliment to to receive because we do. That's the whole point. Um, just tasting those those the pretty subtleties. They don't need to be you know smacked around the head with oak. And it's it, sometimes it's just those really bright, pure kind of wines that resonate. And all they and they they clearly seem to resonate with um, in the show system. And um, yeah, I think it's kind of cool when when you don't really see too much wine making artefact. It's more about the vineyard.
0: In, you make quite a few wines at Santa doing uh, at a few different tiers, as you talked about your single vineyards, your reserve wines. Is there a wine that you particularly look forward to making each year? In it, you know, in tough years and in in um, more of the celebratory vine- uh, vintages.
1: Yeah, uh, definitely the Cabernet for me. I, I um, while well, we do have the single vineyards, um, and they always, um, you know, they, they represent that block that 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 bit of dirt and the the DNA of that vineyard in that year but when you're putting blends together particularly in in bigger blends like our Black Label um, Cabernet I love and the Reserves which is also a blend um, uh, I love putting those together um, yeah because you've got a a lot of components that you're dealing with uh, and you're trying uh, as we mentioned before not to try and overdo the winemaking but to make sure that it's still true to a that 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 pretty pure sort of um, house style um, and delivering and you know, doing what you do, uh, doing w- what you can with what the season delivers. Like, there's been a few years, for example, where um, we haven't made a reserve cabinet. Um, 2021 was the last year that we didn't make a reserve cabinet, and that was a um, yeah, reasonably challenging year over here. It wasn't particularly cool, but it was quite humid and so on. So from that perspective, that was just great fun putting that blend together, making the decision not to make a reserve, but seeing all of that really, really good fruit cascade down uh, into uh, and make a huge impact on our Black Label Cabernet and and um, being able to preserve, you know, the, the level of quality that you expect from that sort of wine. So, yeah, no, that's always challenging, those those bigger blends and they're, they're, yeah, lots lots of fun too. We tend to do it as a group. Um, you know, we taste well, I, whether I'm with a group or by myself, I only taste blind in the lab. Um, but, yeah, we'll look at all the components blind, have a chat, and then sort of do it stepwise, putting the blends together. And then as we go through it, we'll taste everything blind again. And, yeah, just through, I think, a degree of repetition, uh, at looking at the wines over and over. Um, yeah, you, you, it takes a little bit longer that way, but I think you come up with the right, the right decision-making process when it comes to putting the blends together in the end.
0: And that's the funny thing too, isn't it, about, you know, declared vintages and when people are talking about hard years or, or, or tough, tougher years, that's sometimes the, the time to, like you said, purchase wine. Like you said, some of this top fruit that would go into a much higher price-tagged wine is then being utilised in, in, in all these other components. It kind of makes me think, gosh, that's the time to really kind of look at the wineries, chat and hear what they have to say and maybe make some of your larger purchases. <laughs>
1: Oh, yeah. Well, in a funny kind of way, the, the the one of the one of the other times I decided to do that, which um, raised a few eyebrows in the accounts department and the finance department, was twenty sixteen, um, which wasn't a bad vintage by any means. But some of our best blocks had just been flipped from um, spur printing to cane, and and they can often take a, a year or two to sort of recover from that. So they weren't their usual sort of lofty standards um, on the bench. So we decided not to make a reserve in twenty sixteen. Um, however, again, it's sometimes the, the whole is greater than some of its parts. When it was put together into the Black Label blend, that blend actually went on to win the Jimmy Watson. Um, and that's probably one of the biggest achievements that we've, or well, certainly one of the most significant awards that we've ever won here at Xanadu. And um, yeah, it, it was just quite incredible to think that by not making a reserve, we actually made a better wine. <laughs>
0: I love that I didn't actually know that about that I mean I obviously knew about that win but I didn't know that that was the wine that went it went on to to that's that's an amazing story and and must have been yeah a really amazing moment were you that you obviously were there accepting the award on the day
1: yeah no absolutely it was such it was um oh I it was just hard to put it into words how exciting that was and um uh yeah the only thing is I would, I would love more of the more of the people that were involved in making those wines to be there to to help accept it with me, but it was um, yeah, it was uh, yeah, it was huge, and it's and uh, certainly raised the profile of Xanadu n- no end after after having won that award.
0: Well, you've certainly kept on that that track of keeping Xanadu in the limelight, that's for sure. In terms of Cabernet, it, it's had such an interesting um, kind of you know ebb and flow in terms of when it's being drunk and who's drinking it, but it's always very reliable in that we've always made good Cabernet. What do you think some of the kind of um, mistakes people have made or or, um, kind of trends that have kind of affected Cabernet and its journey on who's drinking it in Australia?
1: Yeah, I don't think anybody makes mistakes, but they just, what do do you mean about making Cabernet or just drinking other things around Cabernet?
0: Yeah, because I think that, a bit like our Chardonnay, you know, it's gone on, on a real journey and I think we've always made great Cabernet in this country, but you definitely see times in and eras where people were perhaps using a little bit more oak or they were a little bit greener in style. I feel like we're in an amazing spot right now for Cabernet and I feel like we're on the journey for it having a real renaissance in terms of it is being the kind of buzzword of what people are drinking. I, you know, it always takes a few years to get there. But why do you think we're making great Cabernet at this time in Australia?
1: Yeah, I think we're, we're at a point um, where we're just very comfortable in our skins. I think that, um, you know, looking at it from a Margaret River perspective, it's it's quite interesting to think that some of the Wines that first put Margaret River on the map were Jimmy Watson Cabernets from um, Cape Mintel in the early '80s, and those those wines were quite herbal and sort of, uh, you know, uh, blackcurranty, mm. methoxypyrazine, ribinary kind of things. But that was what was in vogue back then. Um, although it's quite interesting, I had a great conversation with Dave Honan oh, a few years back, where he he hit the nail on the head where he sort of said that, you know, a lot of the styles changed in the in the early to mid-90s where, and it wasn't so much about um, just about, you know, this is the style of wine that we want to make, although there was a lot of people chasing sort of parker points back then. But it was when bird nets became actually quite affordable. Um, prior to that, people were having to pick earlier um, because if they didn't, the birds would hammer the vineyard. So, and that's probably a reflection of some of those more, Herbaceous uh, sort of styles in, in in the '70s and '80s. Once you got to the mid '90s, where people you know could could net their fruit and actually let the fruit hang a lot longer. If you go through fifty years of Margaret the Cabernet, you find them go from those those herbal notes in the mid '90s. They actually started to get really quite big, um, quite um, in some cases even jammy, which is not something that I would necessarily. Describe as a a Margaret River Cabernet, but there were some really big wines through the through the mid to late 90s, and I think you know since then people have the pendulum swung back a little bit where people have. Uh, become a lot more comfortable that you don't need to push the ripeness all the way and there's nothing wrong with having some sort of leafy, bright, varietal characteristics. That's what makes Cabernet such a great variety is that it's got this lovely freshness to it. So I think now mm. with Cabernet and with Chardonnay that there's a lovely, when I talk about being comfortable in in your skin, it's like nobody's following a certain generic path. Uh, there's, I, I wouldn't say that the pendulum's just, you know, plum in the middle anymore people are experiencing both ends of the of the spectrum and i think that's what's great because it gives you some sort of diversity um, but i think relying on the freshness of fruit and and having that purity i think is what why um, the cabernet in australia is so you know is in such a good place at the moment because most of them aren't overblown and they're not you know really skinny and mean and green um, people are finding the better sites, and for me one of the things with cabernet is it's 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 a constant, you know. Other other varieties come and come and go, but Cabernet is a constant from a Margaret River perspective, and and many other regions of the world. It's 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 always the yardstick by by which you measure the quality of the vintage because um, they're, they're such lovely age worthy wines. Mm.
0: Yeah, they sure are. And what's the importance of of blending? Because you produce some amazing uh, Malbecs and some Merlots and and some and Cab Franc in Margaret River. Why Why is that, you know, uh, an important part of some of the wines that are made there?
1: Yeah, well I, well, I think it's nice just to have a little spice rack there. As long as you don't, um, you know, when you're putting the blends together, like um, the Malbec can, you know, add some lo- lovely spice and, and inky sort of and sometimes peppery characteristics. PV's got this beautiful perfume and tannin. Um, so I, I think it's nice to have these these this little spice rack of extra varieties that you can um, add you know layers and, and lovely a bit of detail to the wine and different elements, but as long as you make you know very aware that when those blends go together, um, the, the the cabernet still needs to be the loudest voice um, you know and um, you know from trial and error I've overdone it you know I fell fallen in love with petit verdot in the past and put too much into a blend and going note to self um, maybe just keep it under five or six <laughs> percent because it's uh, it the, it just you don't need a lot of it to to really dominate. So it's um, I think as long as it's you know in judicious amounts and and that the cabernet still really is what's singing, um yeah it's it's quite nice to, to have those other um, varieties at your disposal when you're putting blends together.
0: Yeah, I, I love that, and I agree with you. I think that if they're all all of those other bits and pieces are adding to what cabernet already offers, then they provide this amazing framework and support. Um, but, yeah, you're right. If it, if there's too much, you start, I don't know, it feels it gets a bit murky or you kind of lose the way a little bit. I understand Petit Verdot, though, because it's got these amazing kind of purpley-blue florals that can be very um, alluring, can't they?
1: Oh, totally, yeah. Like we often do, because the PV and Malbec, uh, Petit Verdot, sorry, and Malbec are Important parts of of all of our top blends. We occasionally will do a fifty case uh, make just for sale at also so people can see these individual components. But the Petit of day, yeah, it's like, it's so floral. I, I've, I often talk about it like it's a like a grandma's handbag. It's kind of this this handbag that's had fifty years worth of different perfumes and all this potpourri and rose petal and Turkish delight and um, and it's quite um quite quite incredible the florals you get off it. And then once you taste it though, it's got so much tannin. So. Um yeah, it's one of those varieties that you really gotta be um it, it can have a massive impact and with those beautiful sort of um blue fruits and florals, but you definitely don't wanna overdo it.
0: Crap Mars handbag. Interesting. <laughs> um Tell me a little bit about you know when you guys clock off, being that you are two amazing winemakers. What are you doing when you get home? Do you are you drinking the wines you made? Are you drinking wines from Margaret River? Is there a healthy competition between the two of you? I mean, what's what's the vibe there?
1: Oh no, there's there's it's it's there's no competition at all. We uh, uh we because of it's such a um, close knit community, we often. Just do a lot of swaps with with other people and it's nice to try other people's wines. Uh, it's nice to keep your finger on the pulse and buy some wines from, you know, the East Coast as well and around the world. But um, uh, just with, as well as, you know, having a, a, a wine or a beer or something after work, it's with, there's a lot of um, tasting groups within the winemaking community in, in Margaret River. So, you know, the, you're just as likely to find 10 winemakers all meeting up down at the Settlers Tavern um, tasting a whole heap of blind wines in a, in a, in a tasting is, uh, you know, any given day of the week. It's, it's, it's just fun. It's just fun to taste. (laughs) That's
0: for sure. I can imagine settlers definitely their wine list gets a very good workout when you all come down there. If you could only drink three beverages for the rest of your life, Glenn, what would they be and why?
1: Well, beer would have to be at the top of the list because, um, as everybody knows, it takes a, a lot of beer to make good wine. Um, does, and do, are we talking varieties or just actual beverages?
0: Well, you can say whatever you like.
1: Well, I, I'd, I would well, obviously wine's got to be in there, and I'd, just because there's, there's nothing nicer than than having a, um, a a good glass of Cabernet with a meal, or or, or a bubbly when you're celebrating, or um, yeah. So that's a, it's been a, such a big part of my life that I, I don't think I could do without that. Um so beer beer and wine would be the top two of the list and then um I'd probably put a margarita in the mix as well because um, I don't know there's something something lovely and tangy a salty margarita just it's a it's a it's a treat so it's something just to if I'm ever going to have a little bit of a treat it's it's that's that's my go to
0: Such a good drink isn't it especially on a hot day while you're surfside I actually think margarita is the best absolute best after scuba diving there's something about having you know that that salted rim after a good long dive while you're seaside that's like pretty epic I think
1: (laughs) oh yeah totally I I love the love a margarita and I love it when you can see that sort of that lovely salty tangy it's it's a descriptor often used for um for chardonnays as well just that lovely tanginess but that lovely briny kind of um saline edge to it that just makes your mouth water just thinking about it
0: yeah, it's so very true. Well, it's been so nice to get to know you a little bit more. I'm surprised by the fact that your accent is pretty mellow these days. Um, <laughs> do you think that you'd ever go back and make some wine in Northland? I mean, they do make some pretty handy wines up there.
1: Oh, yeah. Um, oh, I'd love to go back and, and have a look at that. But uh, I think with, with family over here, I'm, I'm well and truly entrenched in Margaret River. It's always lovely to go home. Um, I do feel as though when I catch up with my family and my brothers and, and all my mates, it's, it's like a time warp and I've never left. <laughs> but um, no, I'm, I'm, I'll, the opportunity to make wine – all over the world would be great, but at the moment, just with, with children and, and family duties, I'm well and truly entrenched here in Margarita.
0: That's crazy. Well, I'm, I'm really glad to hear it. I think that poor Northland, they've lost you forever, but um, we're, th- <laughs> we're thrilled that we've, like a lot of Australians do, we're thrilled to claim you as our own. <laughs> uh, it's been so lovely to have a chat. Thank you very much for um telling us a little bit more about what you do keep on making those absolutely stellar wines and we'll keep on buying them and thanks for joining me today
1: no way shanta it was a pleasure
0: this is over a glass i'm Shante whale stay tuned for more stories from the world of wine and drinks listen in every thursday on your podcast app follow us on instagram at over a glass pod and contact us at over glass at deep